We'd better listen to the voices from the mountains Trying to tell us what we just might need to know Cause the empire's days are numbered if we're counting And the people just get stronger blow by blow My name is Olivia Elizabeth Raymond And my name is Robert Eric Shoemaker in episode one of Red South, we discussed the power of oral history as a narrative tool and introduced the Southern Activist Nexus, the Highlander Research and Education Center. In episode two, we'll be digging deeper into the history of Highlander and its relationship to social movements in the South. Southern movement work has always involved struggles for expression and justice. Some of these movements are based in identity, and some are more about the social or physical environment. Southern leaders and movement-leading organizations have often formed around shared identity or cause amongst members. I, in, the, in, the, in the 12 years I was at Highlander, um, and the bandwidth, I call it bandwidth, to like do that position. I, so I don't, so for um, the, I, that I don't know that I am the best to say what are the similarities and the differences. For, but where I sit to look at them, the similarities are this intersectional, you know, both use um, art and culture in real strategic ways to work with people. Both look to help develop and support as a regional organization and Highlander regionally based. Also both have national impact. Um, come, both come out of the South, come out of people doing work in the South. Both are, um, um, you know, have dif- they have different histories. One's eighty something years old, and one's so, but you know, it's you know, twenty uh, fifth anniversary, um, and um, and 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 um, song made the quicker transition to younger. Like I, I mentioned, I was forty, yeah. and so like. Uh, Dear, after the after I left, and then some of those middle, you know, like the definitely there's like young leadership and song and just kicking ass and taking names and 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 now Highlander, you know, has this cross uh, cross race, cross gender, young, um, you know, set of co-directors. So Highlander's place based. Highlander has that long. Um, I think in some ways that there might be more permission for. Um, song to be a little more experimental. The expectations and pressures of Highlander as a 85-year-old organization that's contributed to, you know, there's a lot of like uh, constituency pull on Highlander, why don't you do this? And I'm sure Song gets that too, but I think they're different. It's a mighty hard road that my poor hands has sewed. My poor feet has traveled a hot, dusty road. Out of your dust bowl and westward we roll. Lord, your deserts are hot and your mountains are cold. That was Pam McMichael, former director of Highlander and co-founder of Southerners on New Ground, or Song. According to scholar Wesley Hogan, Song was founded in 1993 by six LGBT activists, black women Pat Hussein, Mandy Carter, and Joan Garner, and white women Mab Segrist, Pam McMichael, and Suzanne Farr. 
Headquartered in Durham, North Carolina, Song's driving motivation was to develop transformational models of organizing California, that connect Arizona. race, class, gender, and sexual orientation, to and to build yeah, lasting relationships among Take people the and their organizations. The By 2013, 20 years after its founding, Song stood as a beacon of innovative organizing for queer youth in the South and across the U.S. Song is just one example of an identity-based organization for movement work in the South. Here's a macro perspective on Southern activism from Yardana Peacock, a healing justice practitioner, published author, and co-founder of Showing Up for Racial Justice and Liberation School South. Anyway, so she asked us this question of like, when was the first time you realized racism existed? And it was a mostly white class, but there were also students of color. And... Uh, and I was really struck by the struggle that it took for me to figure out a time earlier than when I was like 17 mm. it was, was the first time that I really knew that racism existed. And I was like, wow, that's really late in my life. Anti-racist work in the South has very close ties to the classical civil rights movement and the Highlander Center in the 60s, but it continues in full force today. This work is structurally tied to other principles of activism. Tafar Waller Muhammad, a cultural organizer from Highlander, taught Yardana that cultural organizing is a triad. Art and culture are on one side, practice and policy on the other, and they're all held up by foundation and transformative wellness. This transformation depends on changing the system wherever there is oppression. Ann Braden, the activist Yardana mentioned, was an anti-racist leader based in Louisville, Kentucky for many years. Her legacy continues through activists like Yardana, who believe that collective liberation depends on individual liberation, not just that of others. And so I led a session with the white folks around ancestral healing and um, just started to make the connection that anti-racism for white people is ancestral healing because of the pain and trauma that we carry in our lineages of oppression that to, to step into anti-racism is to heal that lineage and to, you know, really become our ancestors' dreams. How do we do things differently? How do we integrate healing and spirituality into the work? How do we embody liberation and not just talk about it in our missions um, of the nonprofits and social justice projects and organizations that we work with and for? What's the body have to do with liberation and anti-oppression? Like, why is my body important? To succeed for the long haul, Southern activists have carved out spaces where like-minded movement workers can congregate. Highlander is one historical location for these meetings, which are full of singing, dancing, workshops, and diverse people and viewpoints. Here's Pam McMichael speaking about Songs event at Highlander, the Mountaintop Festival. Some of them. The Mountaintop Festival piece um, is, a, is about a Song-Highlander relationship. One of the things Song did in our mapping out our work and thinking about the divide and conquer that was happening around. So at the time Song formed, there were a couple things happening. Um, one, every story has a backstory and every backstory has a backstory, okay? But two slices <laughs> in that year 
were that the right wing had produced a video called Gay Rights Special Rights, mm -hmm. which positioned lesbian, gay, trans people as the enemies of people of color, and that getting as if all queer people are white, and as if all people of color are straight. And then NAFTA was voted in, in the Clinton administration, and, um, and, and people, queers at the Creating Change conference that year, sponsored by the National Gay List, some of us were pushing NGLTF to take a stand against that NAFTA vote, and there were other people reacting and saying, why are we talking about NAFTA at a queer conference? Like those things didn't have anything to do with each other. Or that queers aren't workers who are gonna be hurt by NAFTA, both, both uh, you know, across the quote so-called border and in the in the U.S. So um, those two things were going on and where was I going with that? Um, uh, the mountaintop the mountain So so when, when song formed out of that context and it was about it was about this divide and conquer we were seeing and also the right wing had produced early in our years at song I think we had already formed um, was like attacking affirmative action, attacking people on welfare. Was there were all these like strategically placed attacks, like blaming people. So, um, so Song said, if we're going to build like, so we were seeing single issue identity focus. That's, that was a long way to get to this point. <laughs> no, this <laughs> is great. Single issue identity focus. Mm -hmm. Too much single issue identity focus in the queer community. Not in Louisville, but in so many places we were seeing that. And we were seeing too much homophobia and heterosexism or lesbian, gay, trans people not being included or being silenced in, in other kind of social justice work. So it was a two-pronged strategy with to, to broaden and expand lesbian, gay, trans organizing to be racial, you know, fight for racial justice and gender equality and, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and also then to work with civil rights and social change organizations in the South to integrate work against homophobia and heterosexism and what they do. So one of the things we did was um, kind of mapped the South and it was like, who do we move? Who do we impact as song? Where if they moved on this queer stuff, they take a bunch of people with them. And frankly, Highlander was one of those named. Mm -hmm. You know, if we can, if we can strengthen relationships, and, and, and it's not that like Song did that by itself. There were also people within Highlander, you know, um, who were who were carrying that. Rob Ronnie's mother, Nina, the cook that I mentioned earlier, was one of those. Candy Carolyn was one of those. Susan, Wade, you know, like there were other people, um, and other people on the Ed team then, Linda Paris Bailey, other people who you know were carrying that, and Ron Davis, they were carrying that inside Highlander. But what they had in Song was a partner also outside Highlander, so that there was this inside outside push, and so um, it it. Um, and these, and so the the Mountaintop Festival was a chance. It was actually a festival on the Highlander grounds that Song and Highlander co-produced. That celebrated like the the les the celebrating the many faces of les Appalachian lesbian trans culture, mm -hmm. and it would have been easy to have a festival with a bunch of white people with guitars, white lesbians with guitars, yeah. and we were at, we were like not gonna do that. And so you had this incredibly rich, cross-racial, intergenerational, rural urban. So one of my favorite Highlander experiences actually happened before I got there. I was a staff person at Song. It was during one of the mountaintop festivals, 
and we had a lesbian gay trans cultural organizing retreat that led into the festival and the night before people who were performing at the festival but weren't part of the festival were invited in to have like a jam session with people in the retreat and so one of the collages that I had up on my wall in the office at Highlander was this shot of a uh, of a picture from that get that jam festival and you had tomfoolery <laughs> in a dress with his mandolin mm -hmm. and Henrietta Frazier mm -hmm. older black woman mm -hmm. in, in, in a wheelchair with her accordion and they would have never had reason to meet each other much less play whiskey before breakfast together <laughs> if they had not um, you know if not for the intentionality of the mountaintop festival You got a right. Ain't you got a right? Ain't you got a right to the tree of life? Not all movement work is strictly identity based. Environmental justice work, undertaken by Highlander beginning in the 1970s in Appalachia, ties the people of Appalachia to the land they identify with. This land-based movement in Appalachia takes on strip mining and economic justice in some of the most secluded regions of the Appalachian mountain range. Um, I think, well, Highlander's been a good, you know, a place for people to come together now for, what, 80 or 85 years or so. And I think it, it you know, it continues to be that. Um, so I think that, um, you know, when people come to those gatherings and they learn from other people you know in their region or the broader south or international you know it's a real um, important you know educational experience and organizing experience for them mm -hmm. and I've you know I've not been as involved in uh, recent years with Highlander but like at Apple Shop there are quite a few younger people who've been involved with the state project that Apple Shop and Highlander kind of um, initiated together, mm -hmm. you know, and who have gone to Highlander youth camps and different yeah. things. So the, the impact on another generation of, um, of folks is, is pretty strong. That was Mimi Pickering, a filmmaker based in Whitesburg, Kentucky. Mimi's work in the arts dovetails with the idea of Highlander and arts for the people. I've used a lot of um, material from their coal mining music workshops in different films. They were uh, particularly with um, Sarah Gunning, who was somebody they invited to the workshops. And, and that was really um, the first time that she was sort of recognized in the region for her body of work. This is after she had moved away and was older. Um, so I think, you know, um, so, Sarah Gunning, Hazel Dickens, Florence Reese, Nimrod Workman, these were all mm -hmm. important um, singers and activists that we got to know through Highlanders coal mining music workshops that Guy and Candy Carowin would do. Mm -hmm. So that was one connection and um, then Apple Shop has a record company and so we did, the first record we did was Nimrod Workman, mm -hmm. you know, who folks had kind of 
met through Highlander. Mimi currently works at Apple Shop, a multimedia production space for Appalachian peoples located in Whitesburg, Kentucky. We'll discuss Apple Shop in more detail in our next podcast when we talk about cultural organizing, one of the pillars of Highlander and Apple Shop since their inceptions. And the people just get stronger blow by blow. We at Rad South would like to thank Pam McMichael, Yardana Peacock, Stefan Barber, and Mimi Pickering for sharing their stories. Our classmates Natalie, Hannah, and Bridie for sharing their oral histories with us and for their work behind the scenes. Kate Fossil of the Ann Braden Institute for her leadership. And Susan Williams with all the Highlander team for their help with this project.